This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is sponsored by BT, because BT means business. BT knows that businesses come in many shapes, sizes and guises, from the person just starting out at their kitchen table to the biggest employer, which is why no matter what line of work you're in, they've got your back to help you succeed and do what you do best. No doubt connectivity is a must in Westminster, and it certainly helped us to get this episode created and distributed to you listening right now. BT already connects more than 1 million businesses and public sector organisations, offering secure and reliable connectivity. Nearly three quarters of people running a business or side hustle feel they couldn't do so without reliable broadband and mobile connectivity. That's why having connectivity you can count on is a must for business, whether it be facilitating multiple devices being connected at once or making team calls or guest Wi-Fi access for customers. BT's connectivity helps keep you and your customers happy. Whatever your business, BT's got your back. Search BT's got your back. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. Hello, this is the Redbox Podcast. I'm Matt Chorley, bringing you the best of my Times Radio show. Don't forget, you can listen live Monday to Friday, 10 till 1. And uh, tomorrow, Wednesday, if you're listening to this, just the pod jobs, uh, we're going to be live in Cheltenham at the Cheltenham Literature Festival doing PMQs Unpacked live. So uh, if you can get the lunchtime off and you want to come down and watch you can get some tickets go to cheltenhamfestivals.com and if not you can catch that on the podcast tomorrow coming up on today's episode then it's the latest times radio focus group uh, never mind all those other podcasts we've just discovered focus groups we've been doing this for, for two and a half years james johnson former number 10 pollster was in the chair what the swing voters think of keir starmer and liz truss find out in just a moment before that though it's tuesday so it must be Meet the Cerberus of columnists, the Janus of journalism, and the ultimate political portmanteau of opinion. It's alive! It's alive! It's alive! Finkelvich with Daniel Finkelstein and David Aronovich on Times Radio. And a very good morning to Daniel Finkelstein. Morning, Danny. Good morning. And uh, good morning to David Aronovich. Morning, David. Good morning, man. I think this secret thing must be your maddest thing yet. I mean, you're the, the guy who uh, said, I'm not going to tell you it's a secret. He had it absolutely right. Who's actually going to tell you the well, secrets well, that they've they, been keeping? Well, no, but they could, so the, the, so we're asking if pe- people, when have, you, when have you kept a secret or when have you let a secret out of the bag? I think that's okay. They're over time. The second one is, the second one is, but the first one, I, anyway, I, I shan't kind of labour the point, but this, that, I, far, I would say yeah, that's be Far be it that you would ever labour a point, David. Um, have you have you have you ever had to keep a secret or let us, let the cat out of the bag, David? I'm not telling you. <laughs> Fine, we'll get on and do what we're supposed to be doing in that case. Um, uh, let's talk about the economy and uh, the the ability of the government to uh, reassure the markets or otherwise. Uh, we've got this uh, IFS report out today. Uh, saying the government will have to find £60 billion of spending cuts. We'll be spending £100 billion just servicing the debt. Uh, and it's still, what, two, three weeks before we actually get the medium-term fiscal plan? Uh, the markets don't uh, feel very reassured. Are you reassured, David? Uh, this is just... The, uh, the scale of this disaster is really quite kind of difficult to compute now. 
Um, uh, what it means is essentially, and I suppose it's not really very surprising, having done all the things they could possibly do in order to spook the markets because they were so fantastically arrogant about their uh, about the degree of support for their strategy and the likelihood that everybody would accept that it would work. Um, bit by bit, the time, the kind of small things they've done to try and reverse this clearly are not sufficient. So simply kind of having another Treasury official replace Tom Scholar, that wasn't the issue. The issue wasn't whether or not there was a Treasury official there. The issue was why they sat that particular one at that particular time. Uh, the issue is not whether or not they were going to hold off um, uh, 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 telling us that people how the how public spending would go until uh, until the end of November. It was that they didn't do it at the same time as they announced the tax cut. So simply doing it on Halloween instead means that people, the markets are trying to have to guess what would, what would be in that package and don't know. And in the meantime, before that package is unveiled, it is pretty clear that there is absolutely no consensus within the governing party of how that package would be made up. And into that comes the IFS report that essentially says, if you want to maintain your tax cuts um, in the way you said the ones, because after all, the only one they got rid of was the top rate, which, as they themselves then explained, wasn't important in the first place, uh, uh, and so on. Then in that case, this is the kind of scale of cutting that you will probably have to do in order to have a credible uh, uh, economic policy going forward. And it is pretty obvious, looking at what that would consist of, that no one is going to vote for it. And so, Danny, have we reached a point of of being able to restore confidence to the markets? Is it is there a is there a, a bit I like when when public opinion turns? Is is I don't I don't know how to do this. I I, I what this is an illustration of is that our arguments in politics actually matter. <laughs> Listening to their content and trying to make a decision about. Uh, who's right and who's wrong in certain political debates really matters. And quite obviously, and I think it was obvious when you listened to him, Rishi Sunak was obviously correct when he said that if you were going to have all this spending, and it was unlikely that the Conservative Party, given its manifesto, was going to want to rein back on that, you had to be able to pay for it. And it seemed completely obvious. You know, my, my, my father was a, a professor of measurement and Liz Truss's uh, father is a professor of maths. Uh, you know, one plus one equals two. Uh, two plus two equals four. You can't alter that maths. And I, I I, couldn't understand during the leadership election with all the, you know, the Daily Mail was writing stories about Rishi Sunak's shoes, for heaven's sake. We were having a debate <laughs> about whether or not this was a sensible strategy in the middle of a government. And she was, to be fair to her, she was absolutely clear with everybody what she was trying to do. But to be less fair to her, she didn't have a parliamentary majority for that or an electoral majority for it. Um, yeah. And so... Um, and the Conservative, for the Conservative part, the Conservative Party has picked this course. And I don't really understand how to unpick it. A bit like I said with the parties, you know, you couldn't unhave them. So I don't know how you regain the confidence. I mean, because the only thing you can do is to return to the strategy that Rishi Sunak was embarked upon, which was to pay, which was to try to, to be fair, to contain Boris Johnson's exuberance on spending, and then to try to if uh, insofar as you didn't succeed to pay for those uh to pay for those things and if you if the government turned to that now it would be abandoning its main uh platform and i can't see how that regains confidence yeah so i i you know i i, I just 
there was a point in Gordon Brown's premiership. I used to do news night each week. And the idea was to try to give the leaders of the different parties advice about how they could win the election, how they could turn things around. And I reached a point where I didn't have an answer. I knew we couldn't win the election. Um, and in this case, I don't have an answer as to how they restore confidence, given what they've done, because this, you know, confidence is something which once you've lost is hard to restore. And I'm not sure these people can restore it. Is it but also do you think, David, that the the, the the restoration of confidence is the sort of they said what they really meant out loud at the beginning and now they're trying <laughs> to sort of sweep it under the carpet afterwards. That ultimately, you know, if you are the person who uh, keeps putting everything on the credit card, uh, the fact that you said, Oh, fine, I'll try and pay some of it back, uh, you're still the person when when the push comes to self inclined to put everything on the credit card. Well, uh, 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 the problem is illustrated by what they're doing right as we speak, which is voting to reverse the increase in national insurance contributions, which, if you recall, was the principal way in which the government was planning to fund the shortfall in the NHS and then forward by pushing it on to social care. So that now has to be funded from somewhere else. And that's what they're voting on this week. No wonder the markets are completely spooked, uh, are completely spooked by it. I mean, I, I, I have to confess to having made a, an error about this, although I think it was an understandable error. When we were discussing the Conservative Party leisure on this, uh, on this segment, do you remember, I, I said, I didn't think Liz Truss could possibly mean what she was saying, and therefore she must really be saying it just in order to get elected. And Danny said, no, I have a horrible feeling that she means it. Uh, and so on. Well, he was right, and I was wrong. It's very rarely, <laughs> it was very rarely happens on, that let me, way. Let me write like, that down. Time... <laughs> October, Tuesday, October the 11th. We'll write that there we down. go. Yeah. There we go. Actually, it's, it's not entirely the first time that I've, uh, I've, I've submitted <laughs> that. But anyway, um, but he was right. She did mean it. And I, th there were reasons why one didn't believe that she could possibly mean it and what has out what has happened it was kind of on on, on the rough edge uh, rough edge of it and i just don't see any way that this particular collective of people can have um the markets and everybody else thinking that they've got the answers as to what to do um because they plainly haven't so the only solution is a general election. But of course, the Conservatives, with a majority of 70 plus, are extremely likely to vote for a, for a dissolution of Parliament and trust is very unlikely to ask for one. So we can't even have that. So what, we'd, uh, what we are is trapped in this horrible nexus for the course of the next uh, two years, uh, in which the government will be forced to do things that it hates doing, because that's the reality, as Danny says, turn to, uh, in a situation where it will drag its feet in doing it, won't seem enthusiastic about any of it, will be completely dominated by infighting and questions about whether or not they should replace the leader, which, of course, in itself won't do them any good now, uh, and so on. And that's where we are trapped. This We you... are trapped, and I can't see a way out of it. During the leadership election, I, I argued that there was something fundamentally wrong with the method of electing the leader, that we lived in a parliamentary democracy. And if you then had a, a separate mandate, one achieved by the members who had a different perspective to the, the MPs, those clashing mandates would be a problem. And that has proven to be the case. And when I wrote it, and inevitably, it, there was a lot of stuff about, you know, unelected peers and metropolitan elites trying to eradicate democracy. <laughs> what I was trying to do was assert democracy, which is that democracy in a parliament in a parliamentary democracy comes through Parliament through the election to Parliament and the mandate comes from MPs and you cannot have a situation in which MPs um, are whipped to vote um, on a programme 
fundamentally at variance, not only to what they were elected on at the last general election, but to their own instinct. You know, the whole system of British democracy since 1721 has been about the prime minister being the person who commands a majority in the House of Commons. And the problem with Liz Truss is she does not command a majority in the House of Commons, despite being the leader of the largest party and therefore formally having a majority and constitutionally being the leader. And so, I, you know, I, I know how this sounds, but it is in order to broaden the democratic mandate of the prime minister, not to narrow it, that I say yeah. these electoral systems in which Jeremy Corbyn was elected leader of the Labour Party, despite the fact that no Labour MP wanted him to be prime minister. And Liz Truss was elected leader of the Conservative Party on a programme that's not supported by members of parliament because they know their voters don't support it. That system is unsustainable. I understand why we decided we were going to have it, because it seemed like it was taking votes out away from a sort of magic circle or from a small number of unrepresentative people, but it hasn't worked and we need to revisit it. It's interesting because the point that you make, Danny, is that if if it were chosen by uh, politicians with a degree of self-interest, um, they, they, they might end up with someone who came up with better policies for the country and made them more electable. Was at the moment, Liz Truss seems to be embarked on a on a programme of how many... I mean, in the papers today, the, the planning reforms seem to be an exercise on how many people can we annoy. OK, look, let, let's leave us... There's a good argument, even though it's not one that I share, that the things that Liz Truss believes in are the things that are the right things for the country she she has a, a coherence to what she thinks and it's not stupid at all it, there's a big literature behind it um and i just happen i've never uh ascribed to this kind of the institute of economic affairs libertarianism i still don't uh, but it's not stupid the problem with it is she doesn't have a majority for it that's not where the conservative party is and it's not where voters are and um you can't have two uh, so let's leave aside the fact that i personally don't think it will work and that it appears to, to clash with reality um both of which are pretty big points obviously but the crucial thing here is the conservative mps aren't willing to do the things necessary to make her policy possible and the reason they didn't do it is because they didn't elect her uh, they weren't themselves elected on that manifesto and there is therefore a clashing mandate between the voters in the conservative party and the voters in the country and members of parliament and in a parliamentary system you can't have that i do you know danny you've just tried to redefine the word stupid uh, <laughs> because what what you said is what you said is you can't call it stupid but it doesn't work it was never likely to work <laughs> and everybody should see and, to, to, um, and to, uh, in many ways i think that's what qualifies in partially in political terms as stupid it was stupid it is stupid it doesn't work that's the point it's okay. about as it's about as realistic as corbyn's plans for the british economy etc those were stupid the fact well, uh, you know it comes down I to the fact that this them wrong okay so i i don't no I don't no we really in corbyn's like case you called them stupid didn't you? I, I didn't actually, and, um, no as you know as you, well you, you should have done well, I, 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 I very strongly I thought they were dangerous, um, and um, but I, I, I don't like to describe them as stupid because it, to to some degree, um, the, uh, the both the policy of Liz Truss and of Jeremy Corbyn comes from a sort of a lot of abstract intellectualising, um, which to my mind um, leads them to incorrect conclusions. But it's not stupidity, and I don't, I don't really like using that phrase. So it's that's just a matter right. of taste, I suppose. But I mean, we're equally clear; we think it's <laughs> the wrong course. Let's turn our attention to the Labour Party now. A couple of things going on. Uh, we've heard this morning Keir Starmer is overhauling Labour HQ, putting them on an election footing, uh, sacking Sam White, the Chief of Staff, who came to some criticism uh, for his uh, running of the party. 
uh, and uh, moving to a new HQ, while at the same time we've seen the first deselection of a Labour MP in more than a decade, Sam Towie, uh, ousted uh, from Ilford South in favour of another candidate who seems to be backed by quite a lot of uh, of the shadow cabinet. What's going on here, uh, David? Is this uh, Keir Starmer completing the job of removing all the Corbynistas? I mean, first, let's just... I, I, I'm trying to remember, Matt, whether it was the 2018 or 2019 Labour conference where half the conference waved Palestinian flags. Um, I can't remember which one it was. At this Labour conference, at the beginning, they sang God Save the King. Uh, it's absolutely it's really difficult to describe the degree to which things have changed within the Labour Party in a speed that I just didn't think were possible was possible. Now, one of the litmus tests was going to be last night when this um, uh, Corbyn Easter MP, Sam Tarry, who a lot of people think was um, manoeuvred into position before the 2019 election uh, by the dismissal of the previous candidate who was suspended the night before the selection meeting was going to be held. Um, um, because a charge had been made against him of sexual uh, harassment or something like that. Uh, I can't I don't know the exact uh, nature of the charges. But anyway, they would a year later, they were found to be those charges was dismissed uh, and so on. But by that time, of course, Sam Tarry had been selected and elected and was one of the, kind of the most prominent Corbynistas um, uh, in, in the Labour Party. So the deselection was highly political in Ilford South. The fact that he lost by uh, 500 of votes to 360 big bit which are kind of big votes for constituency parties and so on by the way so there's a big mobilizations mm. uh plus the victory of of starmerites on the national executive committee at the conference really suggests that the process of um uh, if you like kind of recentering the labor party has gone much quicker than a lot of us expected which is a kind of a real test of seriousness uh, as they approach uh, as they approach whenever the next election will be I and mean, as you know, we should hope it was going to be sooner than later, but of course it's still probably two years away. And I just think, had this been going on in the Conservative Party, we would have been paying far more attention to it. It's almost like Labour has become like kind of, you know, European politics, important, but nobody wants to get involved in looking at it. <laughs> Whereas the Tory party is like America, where we kind of study every single yeah, kind yeah. of small aspect of what's going on in it. I suppose so I thought this was just worth marking. Yeah, I suppose it's partly a, uh, um, a symptom of the fact that the Tory party are in, in government and uh, massive internal infighting under Corbyn is much more uh, interesting and newsworthy than we are talking the about absence. It. What are we doing now? Well, I, we, I, we I, I don't agree. This is a bit like those people who read things on the BBC website and say, <laughs> "When is the BBC ever going to comment on it?" <laughs> I don't agree with that. We are, we are we are commenting on it. It's quite important. Um, uh, I, I would say this. I think David's correct. I think it is. It is a. Oh, write, write that down. Tuesday. There we are. October eleventh. <laughs> no, no, he has said that before. Oh, okay. once, I think recentering of the party, and that is a very good thing. And I'm relieved by it because I did find I thought that I think the Corbynite project is very dangerous for the country, and I'm relieved that the country has got an alternative at a time when the, um, the Conservative Party is finding it. Um, so hard to govern coherently uh, i think that's a good thing uh you know forgive me if i don't 100 percent trust something that's moved that uh fast and sure. secondly i think it's a mistake to think that keir starmer uh is a blairite even though he's moved the labor party it uh, back towards the center unquestionably um you know i still think he's a sort of soft left more like ed miliband type of figure that, that's the different um uh, sort of politics so we'll see 
We would indeed, Steve. Well, it, put it in your diaries, folks. Tuesday, October the 11th, 2022. Uh, David Ivanovich said Danny was right, and Danny said David was right. What more? Doesn't get better than that. Some unity at last. That's what we all want. Daniel Finkelstein and David Ivanovich there, and of course, you can read them both in The Times every week. Just go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash Times Red Box, uh, and you can get your first month completely free if you subscribe now. Right, coming up next, it's the Focus Group with James Johnson. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. You're listening to the Red Box Podcast now. It's time for this. The Big Thing on Times Radio. Yes, it's time for the Times Radio Focus Group. Every month here on Times Radio since June 2020, we've been convening a monthly focus group of voters from across the country to assess how the government is getting on and to see what matters to real people outside the Westminster bubble. As ever, our focus group was run by James Johnson from JL Partners, former number 10 pollster himself, and James joins me in the studio. James, how are you? Good morning, very good. Uh, a reminder then, what is a focus group and what is it not? So a focus group is a selection of uh, a number of people, small number of people. Polls are 1,000, 2,000 people. Focus groups are more like seven or eight. And this often gets people howling in protest. How can you possibly say anything about this small group of people? Well, actually, we're not trying to use them to replace polls. We're using them to dig deeper into the polls. Why do people have the views they have in the polls? Is, for example, why are people, for example, turning away from the Conservatives in the polls at the moment? How sticky is that move away? You know, how much is that going to stay in place? So they're about exploring the why and the sort of um, the motivations behind voters' thoughts rather than exactly representatively what the whole country thinks. And crucially, uh, when we're seeing Labour 30-point leads in the polls, how sticky that is, you can only really get if you speak to people. If everyone you, you know in these groups is saying, I love Keir Starmer, I can't wait to get him into number 10, that's a very different thing to, I'm fed up with the Tories, Keir Starmer seems okay, better the devil you don't know. You know, there's a, there's a trying to get that sort of qualitative... Uh, which I know is the phrase that you pollsters use, uh, information about how firm they are. And also the reason that political parties, Labour and the Tories, will be doing these focus groups as well is because both sides will be trying to work out what are the messages which are landing, identifying their weaknesses to then address them. Exactly. So the Conservatives will be doing focus groups like this to try and work out how to turn things around and perhaps how to attack Keir Starmer and the Labour Party. And Labour will be doing focus groups like this to think, well, how do we seal the deal now? Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of lot of worth in them for sure. And so where, who are the group today and where were they? 
So he spoke to people who were, uh, they voted Conservative and Labour in 2019, a mix of a mix of those uh, voting intentions, and they're now undecided about how they would vote, or at least they were when they came into the focus group. Obviously, we pushed them for answers as, they, as we go through. Um, and they were from uh, three different places. They were from Birmingham Northfield, uh, North West Durham and Wimbledon, uh, all three quite important seats ahead of the next election. Uh, and just on that, that thing about being swing voters, there was a sort of Twitter debate at the weekend about the value of focus groups. And that if half of people now say they're going to vote Labour, those people who call themselves undecided are sort of already to the right of them if they're floating around as sort of leftover Tory voters. So the key point is this group, if contacted by a pollster, may well say they'd vote Labour when pressed because someone's actually asked them. Yeah, there's a bit of that. So that was a Twitter thread by Chris Curtis. It was it was a good point. You know, there are, you, it is important to speak to Conservative to Labour defectors as well. And you know, I'm sure we will at some point yeah, in the future yeah. on these groups. But we've obviously been tracking this swing voter group over time. And two quick things on that. One is, is that, yes, uh, some people, a lot of these undecideds may have also been undecided a couple of months ago. That is still a relatively constant group. And the other thing is, is it's still a very large group and there's still a significant portion of people going from conservative to don't know. So they're still an important and actually arguably larger group in terms of determining the outcome of the next election. So both groups important, but value in speaking to swing voters too. And the key thing is, uh, and we've talked uh, a lot about this, is the, uh, those headline figures are obviously very striking. The Labour Party uh, on, uh, you know, over 50%, 30-point leads and so on. But uh, they, uh, if you dig into the figures... About a quarter of 2019 Tory voters are just undecided, uh, which is about double the number we've actually gone over to Labour. So those headline figures are, if there was an election uh, today, how would you vote? Big chunks of people are currently saying don't know. And so the, you know, we're picking up some of those people as well. Right, uh, that's all the uh, the housekeeping done, uh, just to explain. Because I know some of you are going to mention text in, in a minute and say, who are these people? Uh, why are you calling this representative? Why are they so stupid? I look forward to those messages. They're normal people who aren't obsessed with politics, if you can imagine such a thing. Right, here we go then. Let's go dive straight in. This is what the Times Radio Focus Group panel said uh, when James asked them, just a general question, how do you think the government's doing? I don't think they're doing too much of a good job at the moment. Bills are doubling. You know, she's going to cap it, she's going to do this, she's going to do that. But it's not really making any great changes to people's lives. I really don't think they're doing enough at all. And I think, you know, the cost of living has definitely gone up. But, you know, we're all on the same wages. We're just expected to deal with it. I feel like they can be implementing some more actions of support. Everything that's sort of coming across, it's it's quite sort of airy-fairy. They're kind of giving people our benefits, like a little grant fund thing for like the heating or the vulnerable. But then because we're working, we're not, we're not getting these benefits and we're not getting any help. They are just coming across as quite chaotic off the back of all the infighting and what happened with Boris, where they've been caught out and they've lied. I don't think they've done anything at all to restore trust in the decisions they have made sort of were a disaster. They've had to backtrack. So I would just say it's not strong leadership at all. And the decisions seem to just favour, you know, their mates, really, the people in power feathering their own nest. Coming off the back of the pandemic, as, as mad as it was for everyone, I think, again, a lot of things and decisions were made that came to light that were lies. And there was a really bad stigma around the government. And I think, for me, it would have been pivotal to see whoever stepped in next, I list trusted to really make some decisions and restore faith. And I feel like they've not done that, if anything. They've done the opposite. It's an absolute shambles of what they're doing. I think they batch, they do things and then backtrack on what they're saying. I don't think they're telling the whole truth. I don't think they're going about it in the right way. Uh, James, I was going to say, can we try and find a positive in that? Um, I mean, given that Liz Truss has only been in government for a month and a big chunk of that was taken up with grieving for the Queen, 
for this to be the 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 established first impression of a new uh, what the government wants us to believe is a new government is pretty bad yeah now look when we ask this question how the government's doing people always are pretty negative they do grumble but this is certainly the most negative we've had so far i think in this series of focus groups we've been doing going back to april 20 uh, april may 2020 because actually the criticism of the groups with boris johnson was quite often normal people would give boris johnson the benefit of the doubt so, so this is the thing people would grumble and then they'd say but it's a tough job, but, you know, it's unprecedented circumstances and they'd clearly be cu- cutting him some slack and they'd be cutting the government some slack, uh, certainly until the start of this year. Um, this is, uh, th- we didn't get that but this time. And I think that's really important. The benefit of the doubt seems to have gone. And a bit of that is because they're now blaming the government directly for economic problems. Um, and also they do not have that, uh, they do not have faith in, in Liz Truss herself. So yeah, the benefit of the doubt has removed. It's only one focus group. Let's keep doing that. Let's keep watching out. But if we see that pattern replicated, that is really significant because that has been a reputational shield for the government to date. And you obviously do these all the time. This is your job now. Does, does this square with groups that you've been doing in the last few weeks? Yeah, certainly, certainly since the mini budget. Yeah, there was actually a bit of an opening before that for Liz Truss. Which when we did it last month, they liked her. They liked her statement outside Parla- outside Downing Street. They thought she was quite good at PMQs. They didn't know a lot about her. It was extraordinary for someone who'd been in government for 10 years. But there was definitely a window of opportunity there, which she's, well, she's sh- shut the window and burnt the house down, essentially. Uh, let's uh, find out what happened then when you asked them specifically to sum up uh, Liz Truss in a word or phrase. Well, I just don't think she's up to the job. Not ready for leadership. I mean, I didn't particularly know who she was before she came into power, I'll be honest. Um, I think what she's done so far, she sort of waded in, seems unqualified for the role, has had to backtrack. Um, and I just don't think there's any faith in her at all. I've heard a lot of people say that she's a, a wannabe Margaret Thatcher without the sort of intelligence. I don't trust Liz Trust. Untrustworthy as well. I thought that she's not ready for the role at the moment. I feel like all the damage was done, the disaster's been created, and then you've got someone in that's got to come in and give it a quick fix. And I just think it's such early days at the moment to be criticising her. You know, at the moment, my problem is with the whole Conservative Party, not with her per se. So I think I just want to give her another, I don't know, another half a year. Within her taking over, within the space, in time less than a month, I mean, look at things like the pound is at an all-time low. I don't know if, if if you give her another six months, is the country going to be better than what it is now, or is it just going to go into a, a downward spiral further? This is not good, is it, James? They, they, they didn't know who she was. Now they've met her. They don't like it, and it's quite hard because it goes so directly. I suppose the thing with Boris Johnson, so much of the criticism was about him as a person, the parties in Downing Street. This is about her policies, ideas, presentation, priorities. Yeah, and it's also getting wrapped up with the Conservative Party as a whole. There was, anger at Boris Johnson was very, very strong, but it always felt quite located just to him. This seems to be being wrapped into everything else in regards to the Conservatives. What was interesting, there wasn't really a sense of anger. Um, there wasn't really a sense of, you know, I'm going to go marching down to Downing Street with yeah, a pro- yeah. protest placard. It was almost worse than that. It was almost like they had completely written her off as just sort of, well, I mean, the word that struck out for me that I sort of put in capital letters when we were doing it last night was, unqualified and you know that's almost more damning than anger well this is the thing that really struck me because one thing she has got going for her is she she's arguably one of the most qualified people to enter number 10 for a very long time 10 years as a minister uh she's been foreign secretary one of the great officers of state justice secretary uh environment secretary chief secretary of the treasury she's been in all the big departments actually she 
And it's weird. I, it, it, I was speaking to Stig Over about this on Breakfast. Part of the problem is she, she basically had a choice. She could either run on her record that I know what I'm doing. Now is not a time for a novice. I've got experience. Or, which is the one she's opted for, I had nothing to do with what's happened in the last 12 years and this is a brand new government. And people just aren't buying it. Yeah, I mean, the key thing is it's competence. Yeah. And people are quite willing to give politicians the benefit of the doubt on competence uh, if they're just trundling along, getting the job done, or they do things that they feel are helping them. But that aftermath of the mini budget that showed voters in their minds that Liz Truss is not competent and that is when you have a big moment like that it's very hard to shake off that perception. Well let's um, turn on to because one of the things that Liz Truss was really banging on about was actually wasn't the mini budget but the uh, support for energy bills capping the the per unit price uh, for energy bills and uh, so that the average bill would be two and a half thousand pounds. So let's just take a listen to whether or not they were pleased. This is clearly the thing that Liz Truss thought was going to uh, win her support. Let's let's get the uh, the panel's reaction to that energy package. Sometimes they tell us, say you're paying a thousand pound at the moment. They say in the news it's going to go up to four thousand, and then when they announce that they're going to cap it at two and a half thousand, we're all like, oh, what a relief. When in reality, you've got to look at well, it's still two and a half thousand compared to a thousand, and I think there's a manipulation there in the news. They sort of say they scare us and say, oh, the worst is going to happen, and then when it's sort of the midway, it's still bad, and then we all think, oh, that's all right then when in reality it isn't, still the average person can't afford to pay that. Instead of having a cap, if they really wanted to make a difference, it should have been a freeze. I mean, that's really astute. I think it was Sherry uh, in the group saying, we were told it was going to be £4,000, £6,000 for the average bill. Now we're supposed to be grateful it's only doubled to 2500 Yet There's no credit that the government's getting for doing what basically everyone assumed they would have to do. It was only Liz Trusted didn't think it was going to happen. Yeah, and it's interesting as well because a couple of people in the group weren't really aware of the details either. Yeah. So there's a general sense that something's being done and those who do know are a bit more critical. So, look, I mean, clearly the government has staved off a bigger issue by by acting on this. Clearly that would have not been sustainable otherwise. But, yeah, we're not seeing uh, much credit uh, for that move. And a lot of it is because people are saying, yes, the support's not enough, but they're also saying we need support now. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, there's clearly one, everyone knows in Westminster what Liz Truss's big priority is, growth, growth, growth. But this is to see if the, 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 that's landed with the group. You know, we're going to go for growth, growth, growth. That's sort of like pointing towards the bigger companies. There's nothing really there that what she said that's going to help myself or a lot of the people on this panel. Well, I think she's supposed to get us out of the mess, really, but I don't think it's going that direction. I think the problem is a lot of people right now are more concerned with their own situation, their own living conditions, and are telling us about the big, you know, the, the bigger picture to a lot of people seems irrelevant at the moment. And I don't think telling us about we'll do this because in six, 12 months, these companies will do well or whatever it is. I think that almost seems irrelevant to the majority of people at the moment. Yes, it might make sense what she's saying about, OK, well, we have to do this to implement in six months time, but it'd be good to have more of a direct message for right now. I think that she she hasn't been given a chance. So I just think at the end of the day, she's got to set out a long-term plan. Her long-term plan, she hasn't really give. She's doing everything. She's sort of firefighting at the moment. Uh, James, this goes to the heart of one of the big challenges the government's got. Even though Liz Truss thinks that growth is a really important thing for the country, she's based on this and some, you know, clearly reactions to polls and so on, clearly hasn't communicated to the public why that has anything to do with them. Growth sounds like something which is good news for big business. 
Yeah, so there's two things going on here, and it's about competence and caring. So on competence, because of the reaction to the mini-budget, the voters feel that they haven't got a plan, they haven't necessarily got something that will work, they can't see any sense that it's improving things, they actually feel it might be making things worse. And then on caring, they also feel that the values behind this growth plan are wrong and that they're going to help the corporates and the big business rather than them. Add into that the sense that people are talking about help now rather than later. And you know you start to see that even if this does pay off with some big growth spurt in a couple of years' time, voters may feel that if the priorities aren't right uh, and the you know values of the government aren't right then then perhaps you know that shouldn't shouldn't be rewarded so i think that's what's going on here and that's what's really behind i think this movement in the polls that we've seen it's a feeling that they're incompetent but also that they're not caring you can have one without the other you can be uncaring and cruel if people think okay they're going to get things done but you can't not have both of those things and you asked them both uh, you asked the group actually uh, how competent is liz trust out of 10 and it was sort of fours and fives how caring is the government? I don't think anyone gave more than a three. And that's those two things together is, is what's so uh, so difficult for them. Um, let's listen then to, to what the group is. Obviously, it's not just Liz Truss. Kwasi Kwarteng, uh, probably even a new, uh, 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 even newer uh, figure in politics uh, for lots of people, uh, even more so than Liz Truss. So let's take a listen. This is what the panel thought about the Chancellor. Definitely shouldn't be in the job. Because obviously, with I haven't seen a lot of him. The, the last I've seen was the, obviously the whole tax cut. I don't know, it's just straight from the off. I don't think he should be in the job. I think he's, um, in most people's heads, him and Liz Truss collectively made the decision with the 45p tax cut and everything else. And I think, yeah, I, I'd hold him equally responsible for what happened. And he just seems incompetent. I don't know him, sorry. Whenever I see politicians start to do these tax cuts and you're thinking, hang on, but why or how much or who's is going to benefit? Yeah, I don't really know much about him, but based off of that, I'm a bit kind of, hmm, again, it's, it's back to that trustworthy question mark. I've never heard of him. Um, I think he's a bookworm and he's not meeting the people. So he's not getting and he's not being allowed to come out and be his own person. So I think he's got the potential, but he's not being given the chance. She's being a little bit controlling. Uh, good to hear from uh, Kwasi Kwarteng's wife there at the end, <laughs> to be clear, not. Um, uh, not great for him. You know, they don't know who he is, but they already think he's rubbish. <laughs> seems to be the uh, overwhelming thing. Well, it's been quite interesting in the polls because before the mini budget, um, the levels of don't know on questions about Kwasi Kwarteng were really high. You know, people really didn't know who he was. And then since then, the negatives have been super high. And actually, I was wondering, you know, whether this was just a sort of fake effect. Did people really know who he was? But actually, a majority of people did know who he was and had very strong views. And it again, comes down to competence. They've seen this new chancellor, willing to give him a bit of a chance. And then they've sort of just seen, in their eyes, it all fall to pieces. James, let's turn our attention now uh, to the Labour Party and Keir Starmer. Clearly, he's seen uh, big rises, both in voting intention and his own poll ratings. This is what the panel thought about Keir Starmer. Never heard of him. I'm a little bit wishy-washy. I haven't got anything majorly negative to say. I think he inspires a great deal of confidence. I wouldn't think, oh, I'd definitely vote for him as a person. I'm a bit on the fence with him. The last thing I've really seen of him was when the whole... Party gate come out, and the, like I say, the first thing I've seen of this Keir Starmer is when he's having a go at him in Parliament, and then it obviously come out about him going out as well and and being out when obviously everyone's supposed to be on lockdown and staying in. I think the only thing I'll find of him is he has the knack to own up to it and apologise. He does seem a bit more ever so slightly in tune with what's going on. I don't believe he's got a clear direction at the moment. He's he's okay to counter. Uh, whatever the Conservatives are doing, but 
he's not really putting any anything down for what he wants to do. Finds him a bit of a people pleaser, and um, but he's likable. I don't trust him to say the truth. Well, there we are, uh, James. Uh, he's a people pleaser, but he pleases me. I think that's probably one of my uh, favourites from that. I mean, from this, and it's not just this, it's the groups we've done for the last two and a half years, and if you look at the polls as well, the nation has not yet fallen in love with Keir Starmer. No, this is not the 90s. This is not Tony Blair. Uh, they are still worried about a couple of things, mainly a, sen a lack of clear direction. They don't feel like he's has a view of the country, what he wants to do, and therefore that feeds into views that he's not strong. It's the same story we've been hearing for quite some time. There were some positives in there. Um, it seems that there was a bit of cut through almost in slow time of his reaction to the Beergate uh, investigation where he said, I'll resign. I think people quite yeah. like that, and they're clearly making a positive contrast uh, with Boris Johnson there. But yeah, he's not yet made that impression. It's almost like they want him to. And I got a sense in the group last night that Keir Starmer has an opportunity at a second hearing now in the aftermath of this government uh, uh, sort of meltdown. Um, but he needs a moment, I think, to show these guys uh, that he is that strong leader that they, re that they really want to see. And there's an, it, there's an interesting uh, point here. And it, 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 Keir Starmer's clearly doing well, and the polls show that he's got, you know, a big lead as things currently stand. If it doesn't feel like it's very baked in uh, thus far, that, you know, people aren't totally convinced by it. Clearly what's happened is that um, I've done uh, open the window. Keir, uh, Liz Truss has opened the door to voters looking at the Labour Party with, uh, with new eyes. It's time for change, starts becoming a, a bit of a feeling. But ultimately, Keir Starmer needs such a massive swing to get even into number 10. He needs to get more than 128 MPs, gain 128 MPs. And it sort of feels like there's a difference between, you know, Keir Starmer Mark 1 might gain 50 to maybe 70 seats. But he needs to turn it up. This question of, has he got, uh, is he keeping his powder dry? Has he not got any powder? If he's got some powder, he could gain 150 and actually have a workable government. Well, there's been a view out there. We did a, a, a word cloud, views of Keir Starmer. Um, that, that we made the public choose one word to describe him, and boring was the most prominent. And there's been a bit of, particularly on Twitter and a few columnists basically making the point, well, maybe, want, maybe, maybe people want boring now, and that that was actually an asset. Listening to that focus group, I'm not sure that's right. People want change. People want radical ideas. People want something that's going to change and improve their lives. And if Keir Starmer doesn't provide that, then it's possible that they could just default to, oh, well, better, better, you know, better, better, better play it safe then. And so that's really key, I think. Keir Starmer almost needs his clause four moment now to show that he has that bold plan because people don't just want continuity and a safe pair of hands. They want to see that radical change. They want to see Keir Starmer and the Labour Party provide that. And there's a difference between boring and serious and competent, which is what, you know, it's positive. But the problem is if Keir Starmer is seen as boring, when he comes, you know, still have people saying they don't know who he is, despite the fact that he's been leader for three, two, three years. Um, the, the, if if the, the default reaction when he comes on the telly is, oh, it's boring, snoring Keir Starmer, he can't even communicate his radical plan, even if he had one. You know, it's, it's, gonna, it's a... He needs people to sort of sit up and take notice. Yeah, and we'll hear it later in the focus group, but people were saying, well, you know, we may as well give Labour a chance then. Yeah, yeah. Um, and implicit in that feeling of give them a chance is that they want to see change. Yeah. So it is absolutely imperative, just as it was uh, for Boris Johnson in 2019 
for Labour to be the change candidate at the election. I still think that, you know, it was also a lesson that applied to 2017, by the way. Theresa May's campaign played it very safe when it should have been about change for the country in the wake of Brexit. And I still think that the winner of 2024 will be the person who has the, will be the party that has that most convincing change message. James Johnson's uh, with me. He used to do uh, focus groups for uh, Theresa May. But he's much better now. Uh, <laughs> James, just a reminder of the group that we were speaking to. Where are they from? Uh, who are they? And how are they selected? So they are swing voters, which means that they voted a mix of Conservative and Labour in 2019 and they're now undecided about how they would vote. Um, and uh, they are from North West Durham, Wimbledon and Birmingham Northfield, all three key seats in 2024. OK, so we, uh, loads of you have been getting in touch. Steve says the Times Radio Focus Group analysis is brilliant. Oh, Steve, you've got me to read out praise. Clearly distilled and explained a great way to get beyond headline polls and the usual Twitter tribal hysteria. Fantastic stuff. Thank you. Uh, Julie says, I don't really want voters to love Starmer. People putting leaders on a pedestal has proven rather unwise. I prefer votes based on respect and trust. Surely Starmer can do that. Uh, Daniel says, the important thing is the trend rather than the current responses. Looked at that, that way, things are looking up for Keir Starmer. Much more positive responses than last time. Uh, which I think is probably uh, an interesting point. Uh, and then uh, <laughs> this month's stupid tweet of the month uh, goes to Lillianne, who says, what's the average IQ of this focus group? Because once again, apparently, all members of the general public are stupid. We get it every, every time that, and we even had someone yesterday asking whether we were recruiting people based on them being low information about politics. But actually, this is, broadly speaking, how much people pay attention to politics. It's the Twitter commenters, I'm afraid, that are the weird ones. Yeah, so thank you for that, Lillian. Uh, good, to, good to have you with us. Uh, let's dive back into uh, what the group uh, was saying. And although they were a bit lukewarm about Keir Starmer, you pressed them on whether or not they would prefer Liz Truss or Keir Starmer in number 10. All but one of them said Starmer. Let's, let's take a listen as to why. I'd like to see him in power, to be honest. I'll be honest, even the Lib Dems, because I just feel I've just I've just lost so much faith and so much kind of trust that I think, no, do you know what? Maybe they do deserve a turn or maybe they do deserve a, a, a run with the bat and just to see what they would do. Maybe time for a change up. If there was a change, I think there would be benefit for people because they've got more to prove. It's a bit like when they did the Brexit vote. I think people didn't necessarily know what the outcome of it was going to be because we didn't have that information but the vote just signified people being unhappy with what was happening right now. And then, uh, although they, they were recruited by the market research company, uh, they were down as undecided. Uh, James asked them directly, if there was an election tomorrow, how would you vote? So I think I would vote for Labour. I'm Conservative last time, I think I would vote for Labour this time. I just think, I don't think he, they could do any worse into the state that we're in now as a country. Yeah, I'd vote Labour as well, purely because I'd like to see a different party in control. I would be Labour now. I was Conservative previously. Um, I believe that they've just got the interests of the majority more at heart. Labour, because I just want to see a different change. So I'm sick and tired of having Conservatives for that many years. Um, definitely Labour, especially like based on like my parents' sort of knowledge of when Labour were in power. They just seem like they care more about the people. At this moment in time, I'll go with Labour just to see at the moment, what they could offer. James, we were talking about this after the group finished last night. We think that's the first time in two and a half years we've had a clean sweep of people saying they'd vote Labour. Yeah, I think it is. And that is a really significant shift in terms of not necessarily the numbers, because as I say, you've got to be careful with the focus groups, small numbers, etc. But in terms of what they're saying and why they're saying it, in terms of 
give them a chance. Uh, things can't get any worse. Uh, even though they have hesitations about Keir Starmer, they're still saying they would vote Labour. Now, it's not super, super, you know, tied in. These people could change their minds. Um, but I would, if I was Labour, I'd be pretty happy with that because that is a clear shift. And as the lady said there, it is a bit like we saw in the run-up to the Brexit referendum. And it is a bit like we see from independence voters in Scotland, uh, new independence voters in Scotland, the sense of, well, things are so bad, we may as well give it a punt. And that is, we haven't heard that to that degree uh, since we've been doing these groups, and I think that's a real shift since the mini-budget. And all opposition's choice to picture every election as being, it's time for a change. But these moments only come around in uh, probably 2010, you could say 1997, 1979, where after a long period of one party in government, the opposition actually finds itself in tune with the, with the public. Yeah, and it's actually been difficult for Labour to crystallise that because the Conservatives have been very good at reinventing themselves. Yeah. But now that it's gone so badly wrong in voters' minds, it's like the last 12 years have suddenly become relevant. It's interesting, when I was at number 10, um, people always wanted me to test the line of, you know, since 2010 we've invested this, or since 2010 we've done that. And I often go and read that out to focus groups, and they go, what happened in 2010? Yeah. You know, they didn't really have a sense of, you know, when governments change and when the Tory government right now started. But actually, when things are bad, that suddenly becomes relevant. I think that's what we're seeing. Is, and is that down to also governments couldn't create those moments? I mean, clearly, New Labour landed the idea that something big happened in 1997. Yeah, I think that I think that probably is right. And I think certainly if you can say, you know, there are turning points that show they are tired, and then tiredness almost becomes self, you know, self, yeah, yeah. self, self, self-proving, I think that that's what we're probably seeing happening happening here. Uh, well, let's go back to the group then. Uh, and uh, you asked them... In fact, let's do Keir Starmer's uh, one first. This is uh, the group... Uh, given if they had the opportunity to give a message directly to Keir Starmer, this is what they had to say. He uh, needs to be more stronger with his policies and have more direction. Be a good number two, and they should, as a Labour Party, look within now to see if they can have a new person that can come through the ranks and act as that strong leader. I think it'd be difficult for him to make the transition now. Time to step up and get us out of a hole. Yeah, I'd say maybe now's the time to focus in building that strong leader I mentioned, building that number one, used your experience that you've gained in the last however long he's been in charge for, learn from the mistakes the Conservatives have made and start a new chapter in British politics. I mean, there's a lot there for uh, to sort of give Labour a pause for thought. The people are saying it's time for change. They want get the Tories out, seems to be quite a strong message. But step up, focus new leadership, strength. There's a lot more for Keir Starmer to do to get before he seals the deal. Yeah, he needs his defining moment in these voters' minds. He's given, he's been given that shot to, to do it, but they need to see more. They want to see more. That's what's quite interesting, and perhaps that's what's a little bit different in this group compared to others, where they've been very easy to write him off. I mean, some of those messages to Keir Starmer have had in the past have been pretty much, you know, go, resign. resign yeah, you throw know, yourself in a river. Quite, quite. Yeah. So there is that willingness for him to do it, but they, they are sceptical that he can, and, you know, that's clearly the thing that Starmer needs to now do to seal the deal. They don't want boring, they want change, and they want strength. And finally then, and let's try and focus on the positive, if there is a way through this for Liz Truss... Uh, listening to these sorts of voters is a thing to do. So this is the message from our focus group panel, uh, their message to the Prime Minister. I think I'd like her to be more in tune with um, the society needs at the moment. I think she's lost touch a bit. Can you stand in our shoes and see things from our perspective? Yeah, think more of the working class. Do something that's going to really draw a line in the sand, help to build trust and show us that you are thinking of the majority.
this is the time to make a real change. Um, people are waiting, but trust is broken. So you need to do something sooner rather than later to really gain the trust of a lot of people in the UK. They wake up, listen to the working class and, and stumble what you, you're going to do. So James, what, uh, what could Liz Trust realistically do? If you were still in number 10 and advising the Prime Minister, a clear message of seeming out of touch. More actually, that seems more of a party than the incompetence to just sort of not even, you know, walking in their shoes, talking their language. Is there something she could do to address that? So, yeah, listening to this, uh, I think, you know, obviously the picture is incredibly negative for the Conservatives. I don't want to understate it at all. It felt like there was a semblance that they were willing to give her another chance here. Now, I, don't, I think that's a very, very narrow path. But there was a sense that with Boris Johnson, they didn't want to hear from him almost ever again. You know, they just sort of said, you know, go away. I don't want to hear that liar. You know, he was determined. He was completely defined in their minds. Liz Truss is defined in their mind, but they're almost again willing her on to have some sort of reset or change moment. Uh, so, look, I think really focusing on making clear about you know the fact that they are aligned to those working class values, it's not going to be something they can do overnight. But showing things that, you know, announcing things and, and talking about things that maybe will make a difference to, to ordinary people's lives and that would improve them. Trying to have some sort of reset. I don't know whether it's a cabinet reshuffle. I don't know whether it's bringing in other people, but it feels like she needs some sort of moment beyond just an announcement to show that she's changed. Um, and finally, I think focusing on having a plan. Clearly, the growth plan currently as it is, is toxic in the eyes of voters because of 45p, because of the impact of it. But there is a sense that they don't feel Labour has a plan Perhaps the Conservatives could prove prove they are could prove they do. But look, there's no doubt a big uphill uh, a big big uphill struggle here for Liz Truss. But I do feel that if she can show some sort of reset moment, not just in terms of coming out and announcing something new, but actually shaking up her team, showing she's listened, showing she's changed, they might, they just might uh, listen in again. That's all we've got time for on this episode of the Red Box Podcast. Don't forget you can listen to me live Monday to Friday, 10 till 1 on Times Radio. And we bring you the best bits here on the podcast. And if you're feeling particularly nice, why not wait and review us wherever you get your podcasts from. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.